All right, Pastor. Amen. Thank you, sis. All right, John. Gospel of John, chapter number four, or chapter three, actually. John, chapter number three. Um, and we're going to be continuing our study uh, in John, uh, chapter, well, we're going to be finishing chapter three and then getting into chapter four. And uh, really thankful to be with you guys this morning. Anybody else thankful to be in church this morning? It, it is good to be saved. It's good to be in God's uh, house with His people. And um, just thankful. I'm thankful. Uh, had a little spill the other day on the basketball court. And uh, some people were wondering, you know, what happened? Here's all you need to know. We won. All right. So Le- Lenny, your team lost. My team won. That's all that matters. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, I will tell you this. It is very humbling to fall flat on your face and not have a clue what just happened. And you say, what is that? It's called being 42 years old. Uh, so uh, that, you know, when you're, when you're 15 and 16 and whatever, yeah, yeah, you can just jump out there and not stretch. And, and anyways, it did not work for me. So, uh, but I'm glad. Uh, thanks for the prayers. All joking aside, um, I have not been able to do this or this in days. And I can move it a lot better. Literally, I told my wife, it's kind of weird. Uh, Sunday uh, of all days, uh, get out of bed, and it's actually hurting a little bit more, and then like literally within about 30 minutes, the opposite happened. It's felt more loose and more free, and so just uh, for those that prayed, uh, thank you. Lenny, if you're praying for me not to get back in the game, I'm praying for you now, all right? Uh, But John chapter 3, John chapter 3, look if you would at John 3 verse number uh, 35, John 3 verse 35. For those visiting with us, thank you. Uh, for taking time to come to New Heights Baptist Church this morning. We appreciate you coming our way. Uh, John chapter 3, look if you would at verse 35. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into His hand. That's a statement of authority. And uh, you may hear me say this more than once. Uh, I was taught this and I've, I've come to... I'll say this, when I was taught this, I don't know that I believed it. And the longer I'm in ministry and the longer I have children, the longer I deal with any kind of conflict resolution at all, I kind of believe it's true that the ultimate question is who or what is going to be the final authority in your life. Uh, and so when the, 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 the scriptures say here, when John writes, the father loveth the son and given all things into his hand, that's a statement of authority. Look at verse 36. He that believeth on the son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth uh, not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different and just jump into chapter 4, and then we're going to come back and recap all of this. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. I like this statement in verse 4, because there's not a lot of times where the Bible says that Jesus needed to do something. And in this case, he needs to go to a certain place, and the reason he needs to go there is to reach somebody. Uh, here's a question for you this morning. Where do you think you need to go this week? You go, I got to go here. I gotta, okay, is anywhere in there, is there the thought of trying to reach somebody else with the gospel? All right, look at verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, uh, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Uh, to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. 
Then saith the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, let me just say this. In verse 9, Jesus could have responded. He could have given a lot of argument that was maybe cultural, historical, or maybe even political in nature. But I want you to look at how he responds in verse 10. And I want you to know this. Chapter 4 of John may be one of the greatest chapters in your Bible about how to deal with people when you're soul winning. When you're going out and engaging with people about the gospel, when you're talking to people about Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, uh, I I feel the need to share this. Uh, Years ago, I was talking about... uh, uh, leading someone to the Lord, and someone says, man, I just, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Let me just express this to you right now. Nobody does, and yet everybody does, okay? And what, that, what I mean by that is there, there's no, if you're saved, you've got it, right? It's called the Holy Spirit inside of you, and he's bubbling up. Sometimes I think kind of going, hey, when do you want to mention this? Hey, when are we going to talk about this? Hey, let's do this now. And we kind of suppress that and quench that and grieve that at times. But it's not a matter of I'm just not gifted to speak. Don't ever use that as an excuse to yourself, all right? No, it's not about being gifted to speak. It's about being willing and obedient, all right? Uh, look, if you would, at verse 10. Here's how Jesus responds. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. What a, a great uh, uh, introduction. Uh, and this woman here is thinking about the physical, and Jesus is trying to redirect her to the spiritual. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Brother Tim, if you'd ask the Lord's blessing on, on the word. Amen. Amen. Now, as, as we read at the end of chapter 3, notice again in verse 35, the Father had given uh, all things into His hand. That is a, a statement of authority. Look at Matthew 28. Matthew 28. And by the way, uh, here uh, at our church, we believe that the best way to learn the Bible... Now look, if you wanted to learn the Bible, you know what a good idea is? Read the Bible. That's, that's a great response. You know, you know what's funny? People will read books about a book they won't read. They'll get a book on marriage, a Christian counselor's idea on marriage. And it's like, if he's giving you stuff from the Bible, why don't you just start with the Bible? Uh, you know, and, and here's another thought. If you want to learn how to study the Bible, why don't you look at what the Bible says about studying the Bible? And so the Bible says over in Isaiah, it, it talks about uh, looking at things line upon line, precept upon precept. Over in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about comparing spiritual things with spiritual all right? And the words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. And so the words of God are spiritual nature. So if you want to learn the Bible, you compare one verse 
with another verse and so on and so forth. All right, look if you would at Matthew 28, verse number uh, 18. Matthew 28, verse number 18, and this is Jesus Christ right before he ascends up to heaven. He gives his disciples the the great commission as we know it. Uh, Verse 18, and Jesus came and spake to them, saying, all power is given unto who? All right, now, you ever, ever come across people that say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ? All right, look at John chapter number five. Here's the problem with that statement. The, the Father, all, all power is delegated power. It all comes from God. And, and so for the Lord to step in here and go, the Lord Jesus Christ to say, I, I've got all power, what that means is this. Uh, over there in Hebrews, it says that, and, and I think one of the hardest things for us as people is we want the authority without the learning process. And so Jesus Christ, yeah, let's say amen to that, because a lot of you will look at your boss and go, what an idiot, I could do a better job. Well, until you're in that role and everybody hates you, right? Uh, so, so the idea is this, if, if you want the authority, you've got to go through the process it takes to get that authority. And it's not just, I, I know stuff, so I'm going to be an authority. No, no, it's a process of suffering and a process of growing and a process of maturing. Uh, the Bible says over in Hebrews that the Son, Jesus Christ, learned obedience, Well, how does God learn anything? Well, God doesn't need to learn anything, but when God became a man and submitted himself to this human life, he put himself under the authority of his heavenly father. And before that, as we discovered earlier in the the Gospel of John, he was eternally the word of God, but when he came incarnate, when he came down to this earth and was born as a baby in that manger, he became the son of God. He was the only begotten son of God. And so he learned obedience and by learning obedience and listen, going through the testings and the trials and getting to the garden and going, not my will, but thine be done and suffering and dying and being buried and then coming up. By the way, you don't have a resurrection without the death first. You understand? You know, a lot of times as Christians, I think we have a hard time with this. We kind of want to experience the victory without going through the trial first. And, And you can't do that. That's not how it works. All right. Uh, And so the Lord does this and he comes and he goes, all power is given to me. Well, where did he get that power from God the Father? Now, uh, look at John chapter five, John five. And uh, for those that might say, well, I believe in in God, but I I don't necessarily believe in Jesus Christ. uh, Listen to what Jesus Christ says on behalf of the Father. John five, verse 23, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. Uh, Now, some people don't do that. Uh, some people, and I'm not picking on any, when I mention these things, by the way, I, I feel the need for disclaimers. We're not picking on denominations or cults when we mention things that are not right. I just don't ever want anyone in here to be suckered into something that isn't right. All right. And I can, I cannot tell you how many times I've learned of a, a person that gets saved and then they get sucked into a cult like the Latter-day Saints, or the Mormons, or they get saved and they get sucked into the Jehovah's Witnesses because a lot of churches aren't teaching anything. And then you go to Kingdom Hall and it's a Bible study every single week and go, at least they're teaching me something. Right. And so I want you to come to church and go, I learned something. All right. And, and so look at John 5, verse 23, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son honoreth not the who? The Father which has sent him. In other words, you can't say, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus Christ. All right, because Jesus Christ is God. Look at verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death 
on the life. You say, what are, what are we learning here? What we're learning is this. Uh, power is delegated from God. God is the ultimate source of power and authority. Uh, think about this. Go to Acts chapter 1. So if you're saved, do you realize what you have inside of you right now? You've got power. <laughs> now, you're not always, uh, I'll say like this, your batteries aren't always charged, but that's not the Lord's fault. All right. Some of you, uh, you know what your idea of living on the edge is? Is like, let's see how low I can get the battery on my phone. All the time, my daughters are like on 7%. I'm like, why are you doing that? You have 20 outlets in your room. You got five chargers. In. I don't know. I just forgot. How can you forget to charge it every single night, right? And if I'm offending someone else here, I apologize. All right. But, but the, the idea is this. The phone, the, there's a battery there, but it has to stay connected to the wall in order to be charged. Is this making any sense? All right. You got the Holy Spirit inside of you. And as a child of God, you've got power inside. Now, now, the way that some people take this and some groups within Christianity take this is, I've got power to raise the dead and I've got power. We're not talking about apostolic signs. A matter of fact, look at Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 8. The power that God gives us today is for a particular purpose. And here's what it is. But ye shall receive, verse 8, Acts 1 verse 8, but ye shall receive power, there's that word. Now, what did Jesus Christ say that was in his hand? All power. All right, so watch this. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? The power that you get today from the Spirit of God is not for an apostolic miracle sign, but rather for you to open your mouth when you don't want to and talk about Jesus Christ. I got a, a, a text from a young man that got saved recently, not very long ago here in our church, and uh, uh, because of his schedule at work, he's not always able to be here. But he texted me and he said, man, I was watching the message. He goes, about halfway through it, he goes, it was kind of like I was underwater. I could kind of hear what you're saying, but the Lord was just saying, there was one thing you said, and the Lord just kept ringing that in my ear over and over and over. I got done listening to the message. I picked up the phone and called my ex-girlfriend. I told her about Jesus Christ. I said, well, amen, that's great. That's awesome. And he said, well, what is that? I said, well, it sounds like you're being led by the Spirit of God. Now, when you're led by the Spirit of God and you've got power to do what? To be a witness for Jesus Christ. All right? So the power that, that God gave to the Son, the Son has now passed on to who? To his witnesses. So that we can testify about Jesus Christ. And so, you know what? It's kind of a shame, uh, ironically, is a lot of Christians walk around living their life as if they have no power. Now, I don't... I don't uh, you, you, maybe some of you have been in churches where as soon as you're not living like a Christian... They doubt your salvation. I've learned that's hogwash. Because reality is a saved person can do anything a lost person can do. It's an, it's an unfortunate reality, not one that I recommend you try to prove in your life. All right? But it's a true statement. Uh, otherwise, Paul would not have said what he said in Galatians 5 about the works of the flesh and all the things that are listed there. But the idea is this. If you want power in your, in your life as a believer, it's not you know praying for the second blessing or the second baptism or some other far out thing. It's simply found in something called obedience. Are you willing to obey God? If you're willing to obey God and follow the leading of the Spirit of God in your life, you can have power to do what God has asked you to do. Have you ever felt like, man, I know what God wants you to do, but I just can't seem to do it? Well, that's a matter of obedience. And if you're waiting until you feel like you're ready all the time, you may never get to do it. <laughs> you know what Jesus Christ says? Not my will, but thine be done. And what does he gain? He gains power. Go back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, little practical lesson for you in regards to power. But from a doctrinal standpoint, we're learning that the Father gave all things into his hand, and then Jesus Christ had to obey the Father 
and submit to the plan of salvation of mankind by going to the cross and suffering for our sins in order to be buried and rise from the dead and prove that power by the resurrection. Look at verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Who has everlasting life in here this morning? All right, all right. Uh, now, now, if you don't have it, it's really simple. Uh, it's not joining the church. It's not getting baptized. It's not, you know, some other religious thing. It's trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's coming to a place. Now, now notice the wording, believeth on, not believing in. All right, if I believe on this chair, I believe this chair can hold up my weight. When I prove that, when I, when I prove that, when I put my faith in it, is when I sit what? On it. All right, I am placing my faith on it when I sit on it. And someone can go, I know Jesus Christ died for the sins of mankind. I know that he was buried. I know he rose again. And you can believe that intellectually and still be lost. Because if you're not willing to go, but I need that for my salvation, you're outside of it. (laughs) Until it's time you lean on him and believe on, not just believe in, right? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, there's a lot of people that go, well, the wrath of God, that's all like Old Testamenty, you know, like God doesn't have wrath anymore, all right? And, and maybe you went to a church that kind of taught it that way. That's why a lot of Christians don't read their Old Testament. They almost believe like God was different back. God's the same God, all right? Now, now God interacted with one nation throughout the majority of the Old Testament. That's different, all right? And, and he expressed certain things to them that he did not express to the rest of the world. That's different, but the nature and character of God has not changed at all. God is still completely, as the Bible says, God is love, and God is holy, and God is just, and God is the judge. But you know what else God is? God has wrath. Here's a question. Do you ever have wrath? Don't you dare look at me and go, oh, I never have any. No, yeah, right. I'm going to talk to your girlfriend and or your, your spouse or whatever, your kids. Someone in here is going to tell on you. We all have wrath. The question is, is it righteous? Is it just indignation or is it righteous indignation? Right? Do, do we try to justify our anger or is it biblical? Right? And, and so God's wrath is, is, is righteous because after all, you know what God's been doing? He's long-suffering and full of mercy. You know what God's been doing for 6,000 years? Watching us make a mess of his planet. And, and watching us, uh, I mean, think about the, the atrocities that God has watched. You know what the atheist says? If there's a God, why doesn't he intervene? You know what the Bible believer says? He did. He sent his son to this world. And if you're not willing to accept him and follow him, then you're going to have a mess on your hands, which is where the world is at today. All right? Uh, but but I, I want to point some things out about the wrath of God. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans 1. Because uh, I think a lot of people kind of look at this and go, well, uh, you know, does that really mean what it says? Yeah, it really does. Uh, God does have wrath. And here's the good part. If you're a born-again child of God, uh, you are not going to experience the wrath of God on this earth. Thank God for that. Uh, Romans chapter 1, look if you would at verse number 18. Verse number 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Um, I was on the way to church this morning. I, I, uh, I just happened to look over to the car next to us, and it, uh, it said, baby, up in this, and I'll let you fill in the blank. And I just thought to myself, like, we live in such a, a, a culture that's just completely brazen about anything that's ungodly and kind of makes light of any, like, we are so jaded, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, and you know what blows my mind about that? 
If you come to church and the preacher says something wrong, <laughs> you got, some of you have gone to McDonald's hundreds of times and they've gotten your order wrong how many times? Yeah. Right? Like 101. <laughs> yeah. And you come to church, you know, a couple times and the preacher says something that gets you the wrong way and you're like, I'm out of here. You have very little patience with God's people, and you give a whole lot of flexibility to the world. But I look at the world, and I go, you know, it's kind of interesting. God kind of sees where things are headed. And God sees that the world is becoming more and more unrighteous, more ungodly. You say, why? Because when you read Romans 1, basically, they all had the truth, but they held it in unrighteousness. Which, by the way, I just want to point this out. We, we kind of put that off on the, Gentile, on the world as a whole. But, you know, as a Christian, you can do the same thing. You can know what's right and not do anything with it. That's called holding the truth in unrighteousness. Let me ask you a question. If you witness to somebody, and they, tr- they reject Jesus Christ, and they don't get saved, you know what they did? They held the truth in unrighteousness. So what happens after this life? Well, they experience the wrath of God. Now, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Look at Ephesians chapter number 2. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Go to Romans 5. Go to Romans 5. Sorry, Romans 5. Not in the notes, but just remember that verse. Romans 5, uh, look if you would at verse number uh, 9. Verse number 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from what? Through Him. Uh, Look, if if someone completely disregards the wrath of God, uh, let me ask you this, what did you get saved from? If God has, and you go, well, I don't think God should be angry. Uh, listen, you, you try watching 8 billion people live out their lives every day and not wipe them out for the first, uh, in 24 hours. I don't think any of us would last as God, as God very long. I think humanity would be wiped out pretty quickly. God's pretty merciful, all right? But God has wrath for a reason. It's because of sin. Now, we make light of sin like it's no big deal. But he's so uh, serious about sin, he, he turned his back on his only begotten son. My God, my God, why hast thou what? You'll never be forsaken as a child of God because he experienced a forsaking for you. You'll never experience the wrath of God because he experienced the wrath of God for you. Do, do you remember, the, again, in the garden, when he's in the garden, he talks about, let, let this cup pass for me. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath. We're going to notice that in a little bit. But look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm glad that uh, the pastor's wife finally decided to join us this morning. I'm kidding. She's been in nursery with the baby. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse number uh, 9. Verse number 9. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed... You know, that word appointed is real interesting. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27? It is appointed unto men once to what? And after this, the? Okay. Well, guess what? You know what God's saying to you? I, you're still going to experience death if you don't go in the rapture and all that. Uh, and you'll face judgment, but it'll be the judgment seat of Christ. It won't be the wrath of God on your soul. Thank God for that. And by the way, the context of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, do you know what it is? It's talking about, look at the first part of the, uh, of the chapter. All right, verse 2. It's talking about the day of the Lord. All right? And so the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. And uh, what you have... Just to give you a little bit of context here, guys, is you've got the church age right now, the last 2,000 years, all right? And the next major event on God's calendar, regardless of what, you know, some wonky guy says on YouTube about us going through the tribulation or whatever else, uh, don't, don't buy into that nonsense. Uh, uh, the, one of the major proponents of that 
uh, challenged uh, uh, Bible-believing Christians by saying, you didn't believe about that until a guy named Darby came along. It's not true. There were church fathers preaching this in the second century. And oh, by the way, I mean, why do we have to quote a church father? Why don't you read your Bible? The Bible doesn't teach we're going to be here for that. God's not appointed us under wrath. You know what the context of that statement is? It's not talking about just hell below. It's talking about something else. All right, we've got the great tribulation after the rapture of the church. All right, well, you know what he's talking about there in chapter 5? Look at verse 2. The day of the Lord cometh as a what? You know, anybody remember the 70s movie, Thief in the Night? Two men walking up a hill, one disappeared, the other stood standing still. I wish we'd all been written in an old 70s song. Well, here's the problem with that. Uh, they associated the Thief of the Night with the rapture. This isn't the rapture. You know how you know? Chapter 4 talks about the rapture. Look back at chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. All right, look at it. Read it. That's, that's your blessed hope. Amen. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now, look at the first word in chapter 5. But now we're switching gears. The day of the Lord is a different animal. The day of the Lord is something that you'll find all throughout your Old Testament. And it's a reference to the wrath of God Almighty coming back to establish his kingdom on the earth and righting all the wrongs that have been made, not just by the Antichrist, but by the humankind for the last several thousand years. All right. And so you say, what is that? Well, that's the day of the Lord. So in chapter five, what Paul is talking about very similar to what he talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're taking notes, all right, is he's talking about what's going to happen when the Lord uh, 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 mysteriously takes his church out of here in the rapture of chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, he talks about the day of the Lord when he comes back and what goes on in between. And you say, what goes on in between? The wrath of God is poured out in this world. That's why context is very important when you read your Bible. All right, verse 9, when he says he's not appointed us to wrath, it's not just a matter of us not going to hell. It's a matter of us not receiving the wrath of the judgment of God on this earth. Uh, if you don't believe that, look at uh, Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. And uh, look, if you would, at verse number 10. Revelation chapter 14, verse number 10. Now, let me say this real quick. I, don't, I, I think if a preacher enjoys talking about the wrath of God, there's something wrong with you. I don't enjoy it, uh, but it's a biblical thing. And uh, you cannot look at God in just one prism. You can't just look at God in the areas that you want to. A lot of people just want to talk about the love of God, and I am so thankful. I don't want to take anything away from that. If it wasn't for the love of God, I wouldn't be here right now, amen? Uh, if it wasn't for the love of God, Jesus Christ wouldn't have come. If it wasn't for the, I mean, I can go on and on and on about the love of God. If it wasn't for his love in me, I couldn't love others as I should. I mean, look around the room, guys. We're all different. Uh, and, and if it wasn't for the love of God that shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, Romans chapter 5, we wouldn't be able to love each other as we ought to. All right? One of the, one of the signs that we are truly a, a disciples is the love that we have one for another, John chapter 13. So I don't want to take away from that. But if all you ever look at is the love of God, and you make God essentially Santa Claus without also presenting, listen, a, a good dad will love on you, he will cherish you, he will protect you, he will provide you, but he'll also correct you when you do wrong. All right, this idea in modern parenting, oh, Junior, I know, oh, no, you shouldn't. One, two, three, what did mommy say? What is wrong with you? You're bigger than the kid. 
deal with the kid the right way with firmness, love, grace, but consistently and firmly and say what you did was wrong. It is sin. I want you to understand that when you break daddy's commandment, you're also breaking God's commandment. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs that the blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil and it can save your child from hell. Because if they learn from a young age that when I do wrong, I'm not just disobeying mom and dad. I'm disobeying God. And I don't want to experience that wrath. When they get old enough to hear the gospel, they might just get saved. All right? So, so the idea is this. We can't just present one side of God. Uh, Revelation chapter 14. Look, if you would, at verse number uh, 9. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, I, you know, I've learned this. I've learned this. Forgive me. I'll come back to the text. I've learned that if you talk about people's money or their kids, they start getting real wiggy in the service. <laughs> wiggy is a 90s term for those that are younger and don't know. Okay, wiggy, remember that? Anybody, just a little nod would be helpful. Thank you. All right, I got one. I got one. All right, Brother Eric, thank you for that testimony. Thank you very much. All right, but you, you, people get weird when you talk about their kid. I'm not talking about your kid. I'm talking about what the Bible says about your kid. Amen. And by the way, your kid isn't your kid. Your kid's God's kid. Children are inheritors of the Lord. When you take them and you raise them against what the Bible says, you're not helping them, and you're disobeying what God... And by the way, there's going to be an account for that. Even if you're saved, listen, you're not going to go to hell. You won't go to the white throne judgment. Well, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give an account. Uh, listen, I don't even know what. This is not in the notes, so just bear with me. We will give an account of how we deal with our children. All right, listen, it, you know what? In the world, I, I've, had, I've had preachers tell me, you know, I've got this going on, this going on, this going on. Let me tell you something. I don't care if you're a preacher or what your job is in this world. Your, your first ministry is your family. And if you're not dealing with your kids the right way and your kid is throwing things at you when they're three and four years ago, oh, well, that's just the age that they're at. Is it, though? Because when they become teenagers, they just do it behind your back. You know what you want to do is capture their heart. Well, how do you do that? You have to do it God's way. And you have to present to them. It's not... I've had parents go, well, I yelled at them. Well, great. I don't know where that's in the Bible. Yell at a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they shall not yell back. I don't know. That's not there. Uh, that, that, that's, not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not correcting them. By the way, it's not just a matter of discipline. It's a matter of training. I'm going to get back to the text. Just bear with me. I don't even know why I'm doing this, but just bear with it. It's, 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 it's proactiveness. Like in your job. You go to job. You go to your job. Your boss doesn't go. Okay, I, I want you to do all this stuff. Well, I've never been in this job before. It doesn't matter. Figure it out. That's not a good boss, and that's not a good company. Run for your life. All right. A, a normal job goes. Here's your training. So a kid comes into this world, and you know what they are from day one? Selfish. So you got to do train them that. Oh my goodness, there are seven other people in this house. So you know what that means? Not everything revolves around me. You say, you know what training is? Sit them down and go, hey, what did mommy say? Mommy said, don't touch that. You touch it. It was wrong. Don't do it again. Ah! And then you put it right back in front of them, and you know what they'll do? <laughs> you, say, you say, what are you doing? Uh, some of you go to the gym. You know what you do? You train. You know, listen, let me tell you something. People have this weird concept with kids. I, I'm going to get off this in just a moment. I'm sorry. I don't even know why I'm doing this, but I'm going to follow the Lord's leading. And people have this weird concept with children that you wait until they do everything wrong to show them that they were wrong. How about showing them what's right first? And, and how about when they get old enough to understand that you said put it down and they don't put it down? You don't nag them to death. You, you deal with them and correct them and tell them, hey, that was wrong what you did. Mommy and daddy expect this. 
out of kindness, no yelling, no anger. Are you listening? Some of you still haven't figured this out. Because you either think you have to ignore what they're doing or yell at them or lose your, t- your cool. That's not right. Neither one of those things is right. You know what the right thing is? Sit them down under composure and tell them what you're doing is wrong. And you're going to be punished, not because necessarily I'm upset with you, but because what you did was against God. And I want you to understand that if you don't learn this from me, you're going to have a hard lesson when you grow out of this house. So anyways, Parenting 101, we're done with that. Look at Revelation chapter 14. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 9. The third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the what? You know what God saved you from if you're saved? From that. You won't even have to make the decision whether or not to receive the mark. You'll be taken out of here before. What a blessing that is. What a blessing. If you study the scriptures, you know what people in the tribulation have to decide if they're going to follow Jesus Christ? Do I want to follow Jesus Christ or do I want to feed my kids and put food on the table? Now, some of you may know this and some of you may not, but you know what they're experimenting with in China? Uh, Social grading. So they watch what you say and watch what you do, and if you have a certain grade on the social scale, you can't go and experience certain things, and you can't buy certain things. That's already in China. Now imagine when the whole world is under one person, and it's all under one system, and you've got a, basically a proverbial gun to your head, and they say, either follow Jesus Christ or take this mark. Either follow Jesus Christ or put food on your table. I'm thankful I won't have to make that decision. We have it so easy in the church today. Uh, look, if you would, Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I am thankful for the mercy of God. I really am. I, I, am, I am thankful that God is, is a balanced God. That He's not just all of one side. Uh, but we can't ignore the sides that we don't like either. Look at Ephesians 2. And, and it kind of makes me laugh because when people talk about... I've watched people... The people that don't want to submit to God are usually the worst dictators in the world. Uh, when people talk about a God that would, you know, do this and do that, and, and I won't believe in a God like that, are the same people that, man, if you're under their authority, they will run you into the ground. Uh, you say, how do you know that? Well, look at the last century. You know what the bloodiest century was? It was the last one. You know what the biggest uh, 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 culprits were in the last century? Atheists. You say, why? Communism. More people died at the hands of, you know what, and you know what they believe? No God. Just because you get rid of God because you don't like him doesn't mean someone else is going to try to play God. I'd rather take God in the Bible, even with the sides that I don't always like or agree with, and go, that's God. That's truth right there. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, look if you would at verse number 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of, of our flesh. In other words, don't ever, don't ever get so high and mighty once you're saved that you don't remember what God saved you from, right? Uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of what? God removed you from that when you got saved. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. And look, if you would, at verse number 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saint, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any what? 
It doesn't say you don't have salvation. It says you have no inheritance. We talked about this before. Uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Why? Look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. You say, what's the deception of vain words? God loves you no matter what. Now see, some of you go, well, well, what's wrong with that? Well, if someone's lost, they're not living in the love of God. So if you tell a sinner on their way to hell, God loves you no matter what, why would they get saved? Why do I need to get saved? God already loves me. I mean, I'm good, right? What you need to explain to somebody is this. God loved you so much. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows the times that you would blaspheme his name. He knows the times you would sin against him. And in spite of all of that, he still sent his son to die for you and to carry your sins on his shoulders and to bury your sins in the depths of hell. He did all that and he rose from the dead for you personally. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? That is the love. That's how you can give him the love of God. But basically telling a sinner, God loves you just as you are. You know what that is? There's a lot of people today saying, um, and I'm just going to get it out there. You know what they say? Uh, God loves the, this community, and God loves the drag queens, and God loves it. Let me say it this way. Uh, if I, I know I've said this before. It's probably worth repeating for those who haven't heard it, though. If I put up a banner outside of our church and said, all you guys that are sleeping around your wives, come on in. We love you. Oh, it just got real quiet, real quiet. You know what you'd say? Well, that's wrong. Okay, but if that's wrong, would it also be wrong to put up a banner and say, rainbow stuff, come on in? If sin is sin, it's sin. Is it sin or not? Okay, well, if it is, then what are you doing? You're trying, to, uh, you're trying to basically get rid of the fact that God has any wrath against sin. And it's, it's, it's something that's wrong. Look at verse number six. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of what? I'm so thankful I once was a child of disobedience, and not because of something great I did. I did not deserve it, but I'm thankful he adopted me into his family when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm no longer a child of disobedience. I'm no longer a child of wrath. I'm now a child of the King. Amen? Uh, look, if you go back to John, John chapter number 4. John chapter 4. So we want to be clear about this. Uh, the love of God. Matter of fact, when, I, when, I, when I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, and I have the privilege to do that, and they, they give me the time of day to do it, I always let them know up front, look, I want to be up front with you and tell you that the, the, the do you know, I ask them, do you know what the word gospel means? And most times they're not, they, they don't know. I'll tell them the word gospel means good news. And I said, I'd like to give you some good news, but I got some bad news first. Are you okay with that? And they go, well, okay, that's fine. And, and I let them know, like, the good news doesn't make sense until you get the bad news out of the way. If there is no wrath, if there is no judgment, you don't need a savior. Why do we have laws that punish wrongdoings? Where does that idea come from? It comes from a holy and righteous God. As much as society is trying to run away from that concept that there is a God, the reason that you, you ask people all the time, well, why, why, if, if there's no God and you just make up things as it goes and there's no right, there's no absolute truth, why would me shooting you to take your car be a problem? It's against the law. Okay, well, it wasn't against the law to do it with Jews in World War II. Was it wrong? And they'll go, well, yeah, why? Uh, uh, it wasn't against the law. There's a higher standard of morality. His name is God. right? And so when we talk about the, the love and the mercy of God, the, the, the complete picture is this. God's love is so special because of his holiness. When you look at how holy and pure God is and all the thoughts you have throughout the day that aren't right, Thoughts of jealousy, thoughts of envy, I wish I had that, I deserve that. Thoughts of pride, I'm better than them. Thoughts of lust, I want that. And it goes on and on. God sees all of that. 
And he goes, I still love you because of Jesus Christ. Man, oh man. And his wrath's going to fall on children of disobedience. I deserve that, but I'm not getting it because of Jesus Christ. That, that's a loving and merciful God. Look at John chapter 4. Uh, and what we're going to get into in John 4 is this. The Pharisees are noticing that Jesus is baptizing more people than John is. All right. Uh, and in verse number 2, there's an interesting statement there that Jesus himself didn't actually baptize but his disciples, and yet Jesus is the one credited with the baptisms. And that's an important thought we're going to come back to. But all throughout this chapter, we're going to learn about Samaritans and Samaria. And, and why does that even matter? Well, uh, let me give you just a couple of things real quickly here. Uh, as it relates to the Samaritans, go back in your Old Testament to 2 Kings, uh, Kings chapter 17. Now... Let me tell you, in this chapter, in chapter 4, it's probably one of the greatest chapters on the subject of soul winning. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you, the Bible says in Proverbs, he that winneth souls is wise. If you want to be a a more New Testament about the terminology, uh, being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Uh, Real quick, not not meant to embarrass or anything like that, but who here is saved? Raise your hand if you're saved. Guess what? If you're saved, all right, uh, then you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. What you say, what you do, how you carry yourself, how you act, how you respond, what you speak in this world. People will look at that as a reflection, whether you like it or not, of the person and character of Jesus Christ. So when you go out and engage with a lost and dying world, one of the things that God puts in your hands is the gospel. And to go engage with people and tell them, hey, you need a savior. Let me tell you what my savior did for me. But when you do that, what's going to happen is people are going to have some natural arguments, some barriers to the conversation. Some will be cultural. How about this one? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. I'm black, you're white. Uh, I've heard people say, uh, you know, uh, Christianity is a white man's religion. Explain that one to me. When the man that died for your sins wasn't white. He's a Jew. And the Bible describes uh, describes him with olive skin and all the rest of it. But you know what people do? People get on this cultural stuff instead of... The most universal message in the world is is a message that has to do with something that's at the forefront of everyone's problem in their life. It's called sin. Everyone's got it. You're all sinners, no matter what your race or background or ethnic background is or, or socioeconomic status. You are a sinner. And all the problems in this world come from that three little word sin. So you know what you need? You need a savior. Then people talk about race, and that comes up. And then people talk about religion. Well, my religion says this, and your religion says that. Yeah, but you know what the great equalizer is? Jesus Christ himself. And we're going to learn that. But look at 2 Kings 17, just to to understand who are the Samaritans, all right? So I'm not going to uh, read the entire chapter, and I can't give you everything historically, but let me give you a little bit of a synopsis. Uh, Basically, what you have, I, I don't have the entire map of Israel on here, but if I did... What you would have had is uh, during, uh, after Solomon's reign, uh, he had a son named Rehoboam. And isn't it a, a pity that Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs so his son wouldn't be a fool, and then his son does everything the opposite of what his dad said. He listens to his contemporaries instead of the older men and so on and so forth. So Rehoboam basically gets a chance to keep the kingdom united, but he goes, I don't care, listen to the old guys, I'm going to do what I want to do. And guess what? The kingdom erupts and it splits into two. The 10 northern tribes of Israel, there were 12 tribes that made the nation. The 10 northern tribes go north, and they follow kind of like a a puppet king, if you will, Jeroboam. He's not really of the king's line. He just establishes himself as an authority and becomes their king. And the two southern tribes, all right, they are 
uh, uh, located down here, Benjamin and Judah, and they're just known as Judah. So throughout a lot of the rest of the Old Testament, you read about Israel versus Judah or Ephraim in the north versus Judah. All right, so what ends up happening is this. Uh, the Assyrians, a northern uh, kingdom, comes and takes the 10 northern tribes into captivity. And that happens uh, 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 about 100 or so years before, which time the southern tribe of Judah goes into captivity to Babylon. All right? And uh, by the way, i got to be honest with you guys, you don't realize how much one small tendon affects the whole movement of your body. I'm up here going like this because it just doesn't feel right doing what I normally would do. Uh, but, but what happens is the Babylonians take Judah into captivity. The Assyrians take the 10 northern tribes into captivity. But when they do that, they bring some of the people back in the land. Uh, and they, they kind of have a problem with the land. They don't really understand. Uh, they look at the land. They go, we, we must have done something wrong because no one can tame the land. So we're going to bring some of those people back. But when they do that, look what happens. 2 Kings 17, uh, verse number 27. 2 Kings 20, uh, 17, verse 27. But Rabshakeh, what a name. Sounds like a good rapping name. Rabshakeh uh, said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall? This is a great verse here. It's a great uh, uh, pickup verse first thing in the morning. Let them eat their own dung. No, it's real nice. Uh, is that? Oh, that's the wrong chapter. Well, that would be why. I was like, well, I don't remember this. Okay, look at... I'm like, oh, that's, that's great. I was like, man, I don't know that I want to read that verse either because anyways, go back to chapter, you're in the right chapter. I'll go to verse uh, 27. Then the king of Assyria commanded, by the way, if you don't know that verse, read it some other time. It's really fun. Then the king of Assyria commanded saying, carry thither one of the priests whom you brought from thence. So they bring a priest that they had taken out of captivity and let them go and dwell there and let them teach them the man of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel. And taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit, every nation made what? So when they filled the land, they didn't just bring the Jews in there. They brought people from other nations. And they kind of mixed everything. They mixed the religions. They mixed the culture. They mixed uh, uh, in marriage, all of it. Uh, and put them in the houses, the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon had uh, made Sukkoth, Benoth, and the men of Kuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made uh, Ashima. These are all the gods that they made. Look at verse 32. So they feared the Lord. This is weird. Look at the terminology. They feared the Lord because they knew something was wrong. But they didn't follow him all the way. And made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own what? After the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence, unto this day they do after the former manners. They fear not the Lord, neither do they uh, after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. This is specifically being said because what happens is the Assyrians basically bring back a united nations front. And that's what repopulates this area known as Samaria. And so what you basically have is you've got from then on out, uh, you got this conflict that goes on between those that see themselves as the real Jewish people and those that are the Samaritans. And because of that conflict, go back, if you would, to John chapter 4. We're going to do some more study up on this next week. We'll look at John chapter 4. Because of that conflict, this is why the woman at the well says what she says. All right, look at John 4 and look at verse number 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? 
For the Jews have no dealings with the who? So it's almost like she's going, whoa. I can tell you're some kind of teacher, something different about you, and I don't know why you're even talking to me. And, uh, and I just love this chapter because of what it get, the story, as it unravels, we're going to go through it, and we're going to look at how the Lord deals with all of her arguments and all of her obstacles that are in her mind and in her heart. The obstacles are in the, the hearts and minds of people. They're not real good ones. They're just in their hearts and in their minds in regards to what's keeping them from coming to Jesus Christ. And the Lord works through all of those beautifully throughout this chapter. But I want you to have an understanding. Uh, there may be some people that maybe culturally you just don't identify with as well. You know what you ought to learn to do? Get out of your bubble. You know, I tell our young people, go talk to some older folks in the church. You say, why? It's good to get out of your bubble. It's good to talk to people that are not like you. And and it's so funny because in this day and age, we talk so much about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all that kind of corporate mumbo jumbo. The reality is people are naturally more segregated today than they ever have been. You have, you know what else, you know what unite people more than anything else? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know how I know segregation is, is real, even though the law doesn't, isn't, is not the law of the land anymore? Go to a high school. The jocks hang out with the jocks. The, ner- the art people hang out with the, uh, Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. The art people hang out. The drama club hangs out with the drama people. People naturally gravitate to what they like and what they know. It's good as a believer to get out of your bubble and go out to a lost and dying world and tell them about Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissing a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the word this morning. Lord, thank you for... Uh, the opportunity to study it. Lord, thank you for the gospel of John. And uh, Lord, I, I, I pray, Lord, that when it comes to, Lord, looking at you and who you are, Lord, that we would have a balanced view of you, Lord. It's, it's very easy to have a skewed view of who you are. and Make it all about the wrath and judgment, and that's not right. And ignore your mercy and love, and that's not right. Lord, in order to make it all about love and mercy and ignore the righteous and holiness of, of your nature. And we don't want to do that. We want to look at you as, as you lay yourself out through the scriptures to us, that we might know you, as Paul says, that I may know him. Lord, we want to do that this morning. Lord, I pray that for every person that's here. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that isn't saved, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, we love you. We ask your blessing on the word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to teach even after I've said the last word in this class. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll take about a 10-minute break right there.